we trust that you, everyone enjoyed their 4th of July. I hope you guys had a blast. I know me and my family, we did. Lots of activities, lots of great things going on, right? Absolutely. To our visitors, summer visitors here, thank you so much for being here. Um, stay faithful to your home church. As a pastor, stay faithful to your home church. But um, you know what? We, this summer, I've done a little bit different here. Um, I've, I've really just called this summer, you know, the, this whole group of Sundays throughout the, the next, um, you know, month and a half, I guess you could say. And, and we just call it summer. And we're just talking about different topics that we see within in the Bible. And I, I chose to take a look in the book of Galatians. And uh, for the last two weeks, we've been looking in there. So today we're going to continue with that and understanding this, that the book of Galatians is a letter that, uh, which the Bible actually calls an epistle. But these are letters that were read to churches that Paul the Apostle had planted. Now we understand Paul was a, a, church, a, a great church planner. He was a great pastor. He was a great leader. And what he would kind of do, what his real calling was, is just to go out and plant these different churches in these different areas. And then he would leave them and place leadership in place while he was there so that when he left, he knew that they were in good hands or sometimes so he thought they were. All right. And he would get reports back as to what is going on within those churches. And pretty much a lot of the New Testament, I, I would go to say maybe even three quarters of the New Testament, are Paul's letters back to these churches. And they were letters of encouragement. They were also letters of, um, we'll say, um, uh, maybe some discipline within them. Okay, they were, they were letters that he communicated back to those churches. And so here we are in Galatians. And remember, the church in Galatians would be found in what we would consider modern-day Turkey today. And when he left them, they kind of changed the gospel that he presented them, which was a gospel, what, of grace, all right? And the people who followed behind him, which were now the so-called Jewish Christians, began to bring forth a different gospel, the gospel that was in correspondence to the Old Testament law. And in particularly, um, they were bringing back the assumption that even though there was a grace gospel being presented, the Old Testament law still needed to be followed. And one specific law that they continued and wanted to continue was of that of circumcision. So you can imagine how the adult males felt about this great teaching that the Jewish Christians were bringing to them. Okay, it wasn't great, all right? Paul was not happy about this teaching. And he interrupts a whole discussion by saying, do you not understand what the gospel really is. This is what his letter here in chapter 3 that we're going to look at is, are you, are you not understanding what I brought to your attention? So we're going to take a look in Galatians 3, verses 1 through 3, and this is what the word says. And I love how he starts it off. Oh, what foolish Galatians. I want to stop there for a second. I love that verbiage right there. I love the sarcasm that is in that. Now, is anybody in here sarcastic? I'm going to be honest. 
I am one massive sarcasm, I can't even say it, person. All right? I'm very quick-witted. I, and, and watch, if I, if I do it to you, it's not because I really mean it. It's just because I love you and I feel comfortable around you. And so I'm going to be sarcastic with you. All right? Let me get that out first and foremost so everybody understands that. But Paul here, he's not doing it in a sense of, oh, I want to make fun with you. He's kind of reprimanding here, okay? He says this, Oh, foolish Gentiles, who has cast an evil spell? Now, stop there for a second. In the Greek, what the word really was mentioned there, I'm going to butcher this, so forgive me, but it's basciano, all right? And that literally means an evil eye. So what he's saying is, who has cast an evil eye on you? Now, I'm going to stop there for a second. Have you ever received the evil eye before? Husbands. Amen. Right? Now, watch this. My mom, I love her to death. She's like four foot three, you know, and she's a small, little, petite woman. And she, you think she's quiet. She's not really quiet. But, you know, you, you think, does she really have leverage with a home full of boys? You know what I mean? Let me tell you something. She had this thing about her eyebrow that could go from here all the way back to here, you know? And, and I don't know, my mom was a musician, and she still is at her church where she's at now. But she plays the piano, keyboard, organs, all those things. I remember growing up, we would, you know, my dad's preaching or, or they're in the service and my mom might be over at one of the instruments. And if she just caught a glimpse out of the corner of her eye of, mis, of me misbehaving or my brothers or even my sister misbehaving, son, all she had to do was just like with that eyebrow and shoot it up. We knew it was over because if my dad saw it, we knew it was over. You know, so y'all know, understand, right? He's, he's, he's telling them, who is casting evil eye on you? Watch this. He goes on to say, for the meaning of Jesus Christ's death. In other words, he's saying, you've lost the meaning. Let me remind you. I love this because we, we as the, the, the church now need to be reminded of this message. He says, for the meaning of Jesus Christ's death was made as clear to you as if you had seen a picture of his death on the cross. In other words, he's saying, I presented it to you in a way that was so elementary and so simple for you to understand. Let me ask you this one question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? The response was, well, of course not. You received the Spirit because, watch this, you were changed in the inside. Understand this. He says, you believe the message that you heard about Christ. And then he, he brings it up again. How foolish can you be? Now, I don't know about you, but as I, I read this little passage, and, and I've seen these, this foolishness twice that he's communicating, it kind of played on me for a minute. and said, have I lost what the true meaning of the gospel is? Have I become a judgmental person? Have I become someone... Who, who, who looks at people's actions and says, oh, well, they say they're a Christian. How can they be? Or how in the world could God get into that life when they are participating in these events? I'm just going to leave that right there for a second. He says, you believe the message you heard about Christ. How foolish can you be? After starting your Christian lives in the Spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect by your own, what, human effort? I'm going to add a little bit there. Or how 
What gives us the audacity? What gives us the privilege to try to make others perfect according to their human effort? What says it's okay for us to look at someone's actions and go, you're totally doing all this wrong? When we judge, this is what we do, we think our human efforts are better than someone else's. It didn't take a bunch of sins to make you a sinner. It only did what? Took one. The Bible tells us that we are what? We all have sinned. And because of it, we have all what? Fallen short of the glory of God. Sin and God, they can't be within the same room. Because of our sin, we can't be in God's presence. That's a problem. Because God designed us. He longs. And he wants for us to be in his presence. He created us for what? His own pleasure. To be what? In fellowship with who? Him. God wants relationship. Why do you think you have a desire for relationship within your life? With other people? Because the word says he made us, what? In our image. God longs. For relationship. He what? Wants to be your father. The problem is, is how, how do we, with this problem of sin, how do we get rid of it? Well, the, we understand that the wages of sin is what? Death. In order for us to pay for our sin, there has to be a price that must be paid. And that would be what? Hell. God doesn't want that for our lives. He sent what? His own son, Jesus. To do what? To step into the courtroom of our life where, unfortunately, we have all been found guilty, or maybe fortunately. But Jesus steps in and he does something incredible. I'm going to pay for your sin. Last week, I, I really pointed this out heavy to you guys, and I said, look back, think back on that moment when you accepted Christ. How amazing was that moment for your life? How intimate was that moment between you and Jesus, between you and God, between you and the Holy Spirit? The best news that you could ever hear is that your bill has been paid. Don't downplay that in any way. You know, um, my 39th birthday, my wife took me out to dinner. And I'm not going to tell you where we went, but we went out to dinner. And uh, we were out, and it was time to pay the bill. And all of a sudden... When I, you know, the, the, the waitress came over, she, you know, started taking the dishes away and was like, well, you guys have a great evening, you know? And I was like, wait a minute, where's my check? I said, where's, where's my bill? And she says, oh, well, that couple over there paid for you. And I looked, sure enough, it was Pastor Thorne. You know what? I, I didn't think all oh, that was great. I said, my goodness, I should have got the more expensive steak. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? I should have got another appetizer. I need to stick it to him. It's, it's incredible when you know that your bill has been paid. It's in, you know, we laugh about that and we go, oh, that is so nice. What happened to the all oh, that is so nice when Jesus paid that bill for you? Let's not downplay that. That is the greatest gift that has ever been given to you in your life. 
That is the greatest thing that could ever happen to you. Is that a person who knew that you would spit upon him, ridicule him, sin against him, still loved you enough to step in your place and to go through what he went through for what? You. Can we just? Amen. But something about that is just not quite right, is it? Even with Jesus doing that, it's just not quite right. I mean, what? He didn't sin, but he still took my place. I love Galatians chapter 3, verse 10 says, All who rely on observing the law are under a curse. I want you to understand this. It's not God cursing you, but rather it's us cursing ourselves. Because he goes on to say, For it is written... Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Watch this. If you can't fulfill them all, then you are cursed. It only takes one law that you cannot fulfill. And that is what? Completely impossible. James 2 and 10 says it this way. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking what? All of it. So, what is it that we learn from all of this? Your first point. The law couldn't be obeyed. And it still cannot be obeyed. It doesn't matter how much you pray, how much you come to church. It doesn't matter if you're on vacation and you come to church. All right? It doesn't matter if you serve in your church. It doesn't matter how many Sundays you're serving on this platform. It doesn't matter how many coffees you serve. It doesn't matter how many doors you open. None of it matters in regards of that because none of us can overcome the curse of sin within our lives. We cannot change the sin nature. Watch this. Galatians 3 and 19. What then was the purpose of the law? If the law cannot cure you and you can't be obedient, then why did God even write it to start with? Why is there even a New Testament? If he knew that we couldn't do it, then why did he give it to us? This is my opinion. This is what I believe. He wanted to create that frustration that you cannot accomplish this on your own, but that you would rather you need and you must look for him. There are certain things that I do in my home that I ask my boys to do, and I know they can't accomplish it. And I do it, why? So they have to come to me so that when, then we can interact. Now, I'm noticing my seven-year-old, he's getting older. This is bothering me. I can't believe I'm saying that. There's a day I couldn't wait till he can, like, do everything on his own. Now I'm going, slow down. And my seven-year-old is getting to the point now where I see he's getting his own personality, his own way of thinking, and watch what's happening. There's a little bit of space growing between us. Many of you have teenagers, don't you? That space isn't little anymore, is it? It's getting quite large. Some of you got adult children. That space is massive. I'm not trying to depress you. It's just the way life is. But there's certain things that I have them, or have especially him do now, where he needs my help. Why? So that him and I can have interaction. Why? Because relationship is important. God wants that relationship with you. I love this. Galatians chapter uh, 3, verses 24 through 25. So the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ, 
that we then might we will be what? Justified. Not because of what we've done, but justified by what? By faith. Now that faith has come, we are no longer under the what? Supervision of the law. So this leads us into the second thing. The law leads us to who? Christ. We are to go to who? Jesus. When we do it the right way, something happens. This, this effort won't train us to go into godliness, okay? But when we receive Christ, something interesting takes place within us. In fact, the Bible says it kind of this way. If any man is in Christ, go to the person of Jesus himself. They become what? A new creature. It's amazing. When we come to Jesus, something new happens within us. We become a new creation. We are what? A new creature. The old things are what? Gone. The old is gone and the new has come. So Christianity is not a learned behavior. That's hard for some of us to understand. But it is a transformation that takes place on the inside of us. Galatians 3, 24, the law was our guardian until Christ came. It what? Protected us until we, could, until we could be made right with God through faith. Our, our relationship our, as being a follower of Christ does not ask us to do what is right. It wants to make us right. The acts of Jesus to give us all of this is simply Grace. So what is grace? Five things that grace is. Number one, grace is a free gift. You can't earn it. You can't learn it. Jesus didn't die for us to to earn anything. But rather, he gave us a free gift. What was his gift? His gift was his life. We have forgotten the horror of that moment. Not only for Jesus, but what? For also God the Father. We could all probably quote this scripture, but Romans 6.23 is what? The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is what? Eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Could you imagine the horror of that day? I don't like it when my kids get hurt. I don't like it when my kids' feelings are hurt. We often forget about the emotion that must have went through God that day. The free gift, what was given to us. Could you imagine the pain, the heartache? When we really realize the grace of God and what he has done for us, it does something right here in our inside. You've been given more than a gift. But watch this. You've been given life. So that brings us to number two. Grace is received by faith. Faith, it's not belief in, but it's a trust in. When my kids say that they're going to do something, I have faith in them doing it. What am I doing? I'm trusting that they're going to accomplish it. Sometimes that doesn't always happen, does it? Sometimes God's trust in you doesn't always happen either, does it? Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 9 says, For it is by grace you have been saved. Through faith, 
And this is not from yourselves. It is what? The gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can what? Boast. Romans 4, 16. People receive God's promise by what? Having faith. Or what? Having trust in him. Placing my full trust. Going all in. Watch this. There are some people who are here who possibly still haven't even accepted that grace. You can't make your decision on the other side. Let me tell you that. Your decision has to be made in this life. And if a gift has been given to you, why should we be so foolish as to reject it? It's been offered freely. It's already been paid. Don't let it go to waste. You know, we look at people or we look at our children or, or whatever, if, especially if they're eating a meal and they get away from the table and three quarters of the plate's there. What do we say? Don't waste your food. And as a parent, it could get frustrating. And I think about God and so many who are lost, who have, who have not accepted Jesus yet. Why not? Don't waste this gift that has been paid for you, that has been given to you. Brings us to number three. Grace is available to everyone. Let us never be the people that cast that evil eye. I said this, I don't know how many messages ago, but we should look at everyone as if they were a ten. Because God does. Whether you're a sinner or you're a saint. Regardless, God does. We've gotten caught up in the two gospels. The gospel of the law or the gospel of grace. It's easy for us in this setting to understand the gospel of grace. But many times when we leave an environment like this, we get, we get caught up what? In the gospel of the law. Where everything becomes about what you can and what you can't, the do's and the don'ts. We forget about the grace that has been extended to you in your life. But yet we act as if we're God when it comes to other people's lives. Romans 10 and 13 says this simply. Everyone who calls what? On the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone. It doesn't say just to those who are living correctly. Those who are teaching a class, those who who are playing an instrument. It says anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be what? Saved. Why? Because a gift has been given. Why? Because a price has been paid. Why? So that you don't have to spend eternity in where? Hell. A gift has been given to all of us. Number four, grace only comes through who? Christ. Jesus is what? The only way to heaven. Jesus has already dealt with the problem. He decided to what? Step into life and what? Pay your bill. Your sin. John chapter one, verse 17 says this. 
For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Do you see that right there? The law was given through Moses, but what? Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Romans 5.15 Many people have received God's gift of life by the grace of the one man who? Jesus Christ. This one's not in your notes. John 14 and 6. Jesus says this, I am the what? The way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Here's another one. Sorry, again, this one's not in your notes either. Acts 4.12. Salvation is found in, let's stop there for a second. What does it say? No other name. Or what? No, excuse me. No one else. Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to who? Mankind, by which we must be saved. Jesus is what? The only one who has dealt with this problem. So what is grace? It's something that no one has really ever given you. It's something that no one has ever died for you. You know, I think of the, the woman who was thrown before Jesus. And he looks at her and goes, well, where's your, where are the accused at now? Where, where, where's your accusers? And she looked at him and said, well, they're not here. And she goes, well, neither do I accuse you. Just go and stop doing what you're doing. She loved that. Just go and stop doing what you're doing. I don't want to get ahead of myself here just a little bit. Some of you need to stop doing what you're doing. Move on. I love the way Paul says it. He says, run. Flee from that lifestyle. Free from that, flee from that sin. Flee from that temptation. He didn't say walk. He didn't say sidestep it, did he? He said, get out. Get away from it. Move on. Let it be behind you. We looked at last week, and uh, we saw when, when, when Peter, what, what did Peter do? He looked at, he like questioned Jesus over something. He questioned Jesus. He, he tried to reprimand Jesus. Who does that? And what did Jesus, he just turned around and said one simple thing, get behind me, Satan. Not meaning Peter being Satan, but that spirit that was within him. Why did he say get behind? That way he could no longer see him. He could look forward in the direction that he was to go in. If Jesus needs Satan to get behind him, how much more do you need it in your own life? So, number five, this is what grace does. It's extended throughout eternity. When Jesus paid for your sins, he took care of your what? Past sins? He took care of your current sins. And watch this. He even took care of the sins that you haven't committed yet. John 3, 16, for what? God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Stop there. I'm not giving my kids up for you. It ain't happening. I'm not doing it. And you're not going to do it for me. 
But God took what was the most valuable thing and he gave it for you. He must see value in your life, doesn't he? He must see potential. He must have a future. He must have plans for you. All right. That whoever believes in him shall what? Not perish, but have what? Eternal life. So this gift extends from yesterday, it extends to today, and extends on to tomorrow. Understanding this, grace does not let you off the hook, though. It changes your motivations, your desires, and your passions. Now watch this. I'm going to wrap this all up. I've been telling you almost to ignore the do's and the don'ts and what you can and what you cannot do. Focus on grace. Why? Because once you focus on the grace, it changes you inwardly to where then you don't want to be a part of the do's, the don'ts. Are you following me? Then you're living your life according to what the scriptures are saying. You cannot do this thing through works alone. You must do this through Jesus. And when we allow Jesus to do the work within us, then it changes your works to line up with scripture. Are you following me? I want you to stand with me this morning. When we live out these truths, a miracle simply takes place within you. You need to understand this. When you live out these things, when you live out understanding that grace is extended throughout eternity, when you live out that grace comes only through who? Jesus. When you live out that grace is available to who? Every single person. When you live out that grace is received by faith and you live out that grace is a free gift, as something with inside of you takes place and it's a change. You can do all the right things outwardly all you want to. But if you continue to ignore grace, nothing's going to happen in your life. There'll never be a change. I'm not perfect. And I have to be reminded all the time, especially in the position that I am in. Sometimes I say things and people don't like me because of it. And believe me, I hear the chatter. It always comes back to the pastor. Sometimes I wish it wouldn't. And you know what? I got emotions too. And sometimes I could just punch somebody right in their nose. And then I got to remember, wait a minute. How many times have I said something about somebody that I didn't like? And yet God still extends grace to me. He still extends love to me. So guess what I got to do? I got to extend that grace and I got to extend that love too. I got to be receptive of it. And I also need to give it. When we allow this truth of grace and understanding that it's a gift to us to be in our lives and we accept it, something happens. A miracle takes place within us. Watch this, Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 12. For the grace of God, that's the topic of this verse, has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It, speaking the grace of God, teaches us. Now, this isn't works. It's not rules, can'ts. 
can do's, cannot do's. But it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. In other words, when we accept Jesus and we accept this grace and we allow it to move and to work in us, it's going to become almost second nature for us to live appropriately, correctly, and according to the standard that God has in his word for us. Have you ever noticed if you try to study something short term to understand it, you only understand in the moment and then eventually as you walk away from it, also that knowledge leaves? But when you take it into practice to become something that is of every day for your life and you study it and you don't take a break from it, because tell me, tell you, if you take a break, what happens? It's harder to pick back up. And you allow it to what? Take place to become a foundation within your heart, become a foundation within your spirit. It, a root system begins to grow. And we all know when a root system begins to grow, something flourishes what? Outwardly. When we allow that seed of grace to be planted within us, we allow the word of God to be a part of our everyday life. We allow prayer to be a part of our life. We allow fasting to be a part of our life. We allow these spiritual disciplines to take place within our life. It is doing something. You begin to study more. You begin to want to allow the word of God to be more in your life. And what happens? It becomes to show what? Outwardly. Something begins to break the ground of this flesh. It begins to show forth and you begin to make a difference in people's lives. Because we know this, what? Jesus is contagious. He's contagious. Remember what the woman at, at, at the well, Jesus began to tell her of all her activities, her adulterous affairs, her problems, it began to pour it all out to this woman who she had never been around. She probably didn't even know who he was in that moment. And then she what? The Bible says she ran. She went back to the town. What did she do? She told everyone that was around, you've got to come and see this man. You've got to, you've got to hear his message. You've got to experience, I felt love like I've never felt before. I felt a freedom. I felt a sense of excitement. I could feel all that filth just begin to fall off. The word doesn't say that, but I'm just adding to you because I believe that's what would happen in her life. Because why? Jesus is contagious. And so she went with a little bit of excitement in her. Why? Because she knew what grace was about. She didn't feel condemned, but she felt like her life was beginning again. And there was an excitement. And so she went back in and she told everybody about who this man was and said, come with me, come with me, come with me. And because of it, what happened? People followed. Why? It's not because Jesus was at the well any longer, but it's because now Jesus was with her and he became attracted to Jesus. He became contagious. 
We need to have this type of influence within our families, our workplaces, within our circle of friends, within our community. When we figure this thing out called grace, God has clearly pointed it out to us today. Grace is this, when you ought to do becomes what you want to do. God, my prayer this morning is God work that in us. When our ought to do becomes what we want to do. This thing is not about what I'm doing. It's about what Christ has done inside and now it's coming outward and making a difference in people's lives. Every about every eye closed. When I ask you this question, do you know this Jesus? Is he the Lord of your life? Have you accepted him into your life and salvation? As I said last week, I'll never forget the moment that I accepted Jesus Christ. I think about it often. I remember that prayer that, that night and the only words I could get out was Jesus. And you know what? I felt what that woman felt. All that sin, all the filth that I've allowed to be in my life, in my mind, my body, just began to unravel and fall off. And I became what? A new creature in him. I want to extend that opportunity this morning to anyone who would be accepted of it. Do you want Jesus to be the Lord of your life? I'm going to ask this question. If you want Jesus as the Lord of your life and you want to make that commitment today, one simple thing, just raise your hand. I see that hand, that hand, that hand. I see those hands, that hand. I see lots of hands that shot up all throughout this place. Thank you, Lord. Let's all pray this prayer together. Lord Jesus, today I accept you as my Lord, my Savior, my Master. Forgive me of my sins. Make me a new creature in you. You are my King and you are my Lord. And from this day forward, I will live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we give the Lord a hand clap of praise? Amen. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, now that doesn't get everyone else off the hook here, okay? Because we got a grace problem. I've got a grace problem and you got a grace problem. We need to extend grace and we need to accept grace every single waking moment of our lives. I want to be that woman that when people see me, they see Jesus. That Jesus is contagious through me. I want people to see when they see you, they see Jesus. They don't see your mistakes and what you've done. 
I don't want you looking at people, what they've done wrong. Forget about their reputation. Forget about their social class. Forget about how much money they, you think they might have or how much you think they don't have. You look at them as Jesus looks and that is their son and their daughter. And guess what? You are God's favorite. So it's as simple as this. I'm going to raise my hand today. And that is this. If you want more grace in your life and you want to understand the grace of God more in your life, we got to get into that word. We, you can never fall when you're at the lowest point of your life. Where are we at the lowest point of our life? That time of prayer every day when we start our day. We need to let that to be a part of our life. If you want grace to be understood more in your life and to be shown more through your life and you want to look at people differently, slip up your hand. That's me. Awesome. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. God, you see every hand. You see every heart. God, you see every person today, Lord, that has heard this message and that is being receptive of it and wanting to experience more of your grace, but also understanding, Lord, to show more of your grace as well. God, help us to know, Lord, that grace only comes through Jesus. Help us understand, God, that grace is eternal. Help us, God, to understand all of this, Lord. Help us, God, to, to, to allow that grace to change us so what we ought to do, Lord, becomes what we want to do. We're not doing because we have to. We're doing because we want to, God. We want to serve you. We want to do what's right. We don't want to get caught up in these environments. And we don't want, Lord, to be a part of this situation or that, God. But, Lord, we're doing it because we... Grace. So, God, extend it freely, continually in our lives. Because, Lord, we need it. May we continue to come before you daily, Lord, asking God for you to forgive us of our sins. To, to clean us up. To take this filth off, Lord, that we've allowed to just to creep in in different times and different seasons. God, let us be a new creation in you. So, Father, as we leave this place, let the words of our mouths and the meditations of our heart be acceptable in your sight because, Lord, you are strength, our hope. You are our redeemer. Every gift, giving, tithing that's given to you, God, may it be used to continue to grow your kingdom and to bring people to Christ. In Jesus' name. And the church says, amen and amen.